Ecclesiastes chapter 8, the new chapter. New chapter, so we progress. Ecclesiastes 8. Um, this is a book that is a, you know, a product of Solomon's wisdom. He is uh, starting to bring conclusions to his life's pursuit. We know that he was pursuing wisdom. He's talked about that in the first part. He's also been looking for what's life like under the sun. You know, can, can life be complete without eternity, without God? Can man be complete without God, without eternity? Does life have purpose without God or eternity? Some of the questions that he was looking for, some of the things he was trying to find answers, saying, you know, do we have to live forever to be satisfied? Do we have to be uh, you know, at one with God, understand God, be, be, be pleased I guess be pleasing in, in, in agreement with God. And so he's asked all these questions, and he's pursued everything under the sun to try to find answers. And so we're in the middle part, where he, the first part talked about his experiments, the things that he did in his life. And now he is puzzling through and thinking out loud uh, his conclusions, the things that he's learned. And I like that. I like to hear how people think. I like to hear uh, people reasoning, putting things together. It's like we have this, that, and the other. It's nice when you have friends, iron sharpening iron, when we have biblical discussions, when we talk about things, the different perspectives that others have and see things differently in a unique way. That's uh, kind of nice that way. And so here we get to see Solomon puzzling out, thinking through these things you know, before he draws us to the conclusion that is our memory verse. So chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Who is the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A, man, a man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. Um, Solomon's search for a wise man. Uh, and I'm sure in his quest for knowledge and his quest for wisdom, he sought out wise people and, and, and wisdom and, and understanding. And so he would search out for those who are supposed to be experts in their field. It's always kind of nice when you meet somebody who knows what they are doing really, really well. We were watching a, uh, a construction show. We kind of like watch those home shows and stuff in different buildings. And uh, there's a guy who took on an adventurous project, and I was just thinking it was a young carpenter guy. And, and but boy, he was bold and went for it. And to, to see the quality work in there, it's like, man, there's someone who's good at it. You know, uh, another one was on about a bricklayer, a man who was good at his trade and his craft and doing that and seeing it as an art that it was. You know, it, it was neat to see someone who's good at what they do. You know, so Solomon sought those out. You know, the world seeks for wisdom. The world seeks for answers. The world asks people. You know, we have people, people who are famous because they're someone you go to for advice. You know, the CNN and news channels will have their board of experts that they go to. Um, self-proclaimed experts a lot of time. <laughs> but you know, they, they have these answers and things that they're going to do. So the world will flood to the wise person, and they did to Solomon. We know that all the world would go, hey, there's someone who has wisdom. There's someone who has knowledge and understanding. you get got a problem, take it to Solomon. He'll help you puzzle through it. He'll think things out loud and... Um, we know the Queen of Sheba said the half of what not told her you know, about the amazing things that Solomon could do and that his kingdom had. So they, they came to him. And so um, who is the wise man? He's like, I, I've searched for him. And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing, an interpreter? Um, there's a lot. Now, I don't bring it all out this morning, but there's a lot about our, our passage this morning that runs a lot parallel with last week's um, Wednesday night study with Nebuchadnezzar about humility, about him, and then even in Daniel, how he sought out an interpreter. I have these dreams. He's had two dreams so far, and he's needed an interpreter for both times. He's like, I know this wasn't some weird dream. I know it wasn't a pizza dream. I know this was something that really means something. I need someone to interpret this for me and tell me what it means. And so he sought out an interpreter. 
Um, if we were going to speak to someone of a foreign language, we need an interpreter. We need someone who, uh, to tell our thoughts in that way. It always kind of fascinates me to watch that. I watch you know, sign language interpreters to tell and, and figure out the signs. And so an interpreter, even with ancient things, you know, ancient writings, ancient things that are down, to have someone be able to look at that and tell you what that means in modern day. With the Bible, you know, we, we, have, we are reading an interpretation you know, that we need someone to take the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, and, and put it down into our language and try to convey those thoughts. And that's why we have so many different versions of, of trying to get the best rendering. You know, some are word for word. But sometimes the word for word doesn't work, and so it's a thought for thought. And sometimes it's a whole idea, and sometimes language changes. So there's a modern version, you know, that puts a more modern-day language to try to give us the fullest way. And I'm glad that we have, uh, when we do, when we have many different versions that we can look at and try to pull out the sense of a text. And so he goes, boy, I look for an interpretation of a thing. People, people want that. You know, what's going on? And so we have the book of Daniel, you know, where we talked about an interpreter of dreams and uh, understanding of some things, some keys, language in the book of Daniel that helps unlock things in Revelation, that helps unlock things other places where in parables and stories that um, the, the, the imagery that is used, that we are given the key to that. Um, you know, a map has a key at the bottom. It says, oh, this symbol means a park. This symbol means a highway. The Bible is in some fantastic images, and then we've given the key to that. Oh, here, a tree, that means a man or a government. A mountain, that means a government. Um, a horn, that means power, that means strength. And so you have these different things that we can glean from Scripture to help us to interpret these things. And so Solomon's early in that. He's like, well, I wish we had an interpreter for, for some things. And I think it's, we have more insight than him, but I think um, Solomon here is, is, is thinking more about life's puzzling questions. Why are we here? I need an interpreter to tell us, why are we here? What, what, what's the purpose of man? You know, what is man's point of being on the earth? Is it just to you know, go to work and, and die? You know, and so he, he's like, I, mean, I wish we had an interpreter of all these things. And matter of fact, he's trying to be that interpreter for us. Solomon says those guys are hard to find. A wise person and an interpreter who get these things right, they are hard to find. That's where Nebuchadnezzar was the same place. You know, he had all his... Guys from uh, Babylonia, but um, it, was, it took a Jewish boy, you know, to come and give him true interpretation. But here, he, <clears throat> in the next part here, he gives us an observation. So, verse 1, who is the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? You know, who, who are these people that are mysterious? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his uh, face shall be changed. <clears throat> so, I, I think he's speaking of a demeanor of these people. Ones who have applied their heart to wisdom and have knowledge and understanding and someone that you has truly acknowledged for having wisdom and understanding and uh, able to interpret and give you some good insight. You know, these people who have, have some life experience. You know, we, we have rules about our president that they have to have some years under their belt you know, before they're there. We have rules in our Bible about who should be a pastor and who should be a deacon. They have to have some experience under their belt. You know, don't take a novice. You know, it, it's a hard thing. Dealing with people is a hard thing. And so God safeguards Mankind, you need to learn some life lessons before, before it comes in. You know, so um, you know, he kind of has some warnings about that. And so if you find a wise person, they're going to be older. <clears throat> they're going to have some experiences and uh, have some age to them. And something that you find when you're around uh, people who've had some life, there's a patience. I, I used to go... Um, I forget, I think Elaine was doing water aerobics with mom or something like that on, on a Monday night or something like that. <clears throat> and we didn't have kids. It was forever ago. And we, <laughs> we had this time. And so it's like, 
what am I going to do during this time? And so I went over to Mr. Brawner's house. He was a, an older gentleman, was an older uh, woman and uh, man who didn't have children. And, but he was a woodworker, and I kinda, it was kind of fascinating. He had a lot of interesting stories. And so when she would go over to uh, exercise or whatever, I would go over to his house, and we made a, uh, a Derringer pistol. Yeah, come on, who wouldn't want to do that? We made a Derringer pistol. He told me about some of the arts of craftsmanship. He goes, a craftsman, you know, because I put the screw in there and I'm done. He's like, a craftsman makes sure all the threads on the screws are all facing the same way. And then the little tricks with soap, and he had a lathe, and he had all these things. And sometimes we'd start out in the house with a cookie or whatever else and, and get to talking, and then we'd get up and we'd go in the garage, and he was like, she was kind of dominating the conversation, wasn't she? And he was just wondering, oh, we're just down here to get away from your wife, okay? And then he was just, he, had a, he was a slow, patient man. I, many times in the summer uh, when we were building a church, Dad would drop me and my brother off, and Mr. Bronner would be there. And then he would give me sage advice and sage wisdom. And one of the things I noticed about him and his demeanor, he was just a little slower pace than me. You know, and he's, he's a little slower geared, and he would tell you these things. And there'd be a gentleness, and there'd be a little story that would go behind this experience that he was going to tell me about. And um, I use some of his advice every week. Um, we were mixing mortar on the weekends for the bricklayers when they would come, and, and uh, he was the one mixing it, and um, my brother and I were the mudslingers, you know, so we're carrying the mud back and forth, and the brick guy would be like, it's a little too dry. Tell him it's a little too dry, and we go back, it's a little too dry. Next time, it's a little too wet now, a little too wet. And we go back, at the end of the day, they're like, it's saying it's perfect, and he's like, I made it the same way every time. <laughs> he's like, he goes, they, they, just, they just want to tell you something. They just want to do something. Um, in printing, when I was running the press all the time, we'd have a customer come in for a press check. They want to make sure the color was right and the, the, the ink looked right on the paper and all that. It was a big project. And, and they drove all the way in there. And they had this big meeting. They're with the boss up front. They're going to say something. You know, and so I'd hand him the piece of paper, like, it's a little too blue or whatever. I'd go back, stand for five minutes, taking the same piece of paper back. That looks perfect. I'm like, thanks, Mr. Bronner. You saved me a bunch of work. <laughs> and so there's good advice in there. He's like, they dream all this way. They got to tell you something. And so, you know, there, there, there was something about, I can remember him and, and, and others that uh, I think of Betty a lot when she would tell me stories, you know, uh, when she was here about applying scripture. There's something that comes over their countenance when they're, when they're telling you a story of the past or something that they've learned and then their account, their life account, um, that gave them that wisdom as they share it with you in that way. There's a gentleness. Uh, there's a change in their countenance. They're wanting to impart wisdom to you, and so there's a, a pleading with their eyes and like, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to save you some grief. I'm, I'm, I'm passing knowledge on to you. Uh, it's almost, as he says it here, their face would shine. There's a change. If someone is seeking wisdom, and they've come to you, and you're wanting to give them that advice, you know, there is, you're a mediator between truth and what this person is doing, and you're wanting to give them that. And it's, he goes, it'll change your countenance. And there's many accounts of the Bible about that, you know, but he's saying here it, it, it shows. He maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. And so you ask the question, you know, say they think, they light on that answer, they have that wisdom that they can bestow upon you, and as they're passing it on, you know, there's like a shine, there's a memory. You can tell they are transported back to a time and a place where they can give you this. Solomon was wise. He passed on some wisdom. He's going to pass on some wisdom to us now. And so he just talks about the change that comes. I think he's trying to set us up for it. I'm going to tell you some stuff. He's going to tell us some stuff. Verse 2. I console thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. I'm console. I said counsel. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. He's saying, here's some advice for you. Obey the king. 
We don't have a king. It'd be obey the president. Obey those in authority over you. Obey the law would be more ours. You know, we have a governing law. Obey the Constitution. Go by those things. You want a happy life, Solomon's saying? Be a law-abiding citizen. That's one of the reasons when a lot of people ask me, I don't know if you know this, but I collect Batman. But, uh, but, uh, but a lot of people ask me, who are your, who's your Batman? You know, is it the Dark Knight, you know, the grungy, grungy? Eh, you know, those are okay. 66 Batman, the Adam West, you know, the campy fun one. Because it was stuff that he did that, that, I, that made it, um, that was right. It was like, uh, it was funny in the show and as it all, but as a, you know, a young boy when I was watching it, it was stuff I'm like, that's what you do. And it was always like, they would stop before they ran across the street and wait for the light to change. They'd pull the Batmobile in front of the bank, and there goes the bad guy, and they're pumping quarters in the meter because, you, know, you know, this goes for the infrastructure of the city, Robin. We've got to pay this. Every good citizen pays at the meter. Every good citizen obeys the traffic laws. Every good citizen obeys the laws that are around them. That's the stuff I wanted my kids to see. So, yes, they watched all those, too. You know, it's like a law-abiding citizen, someone doing that, working in concert together, you know, because, you know, he would explain, this pays for the roads, this pays for the firemen. We like the police department. You know, we pay our taxes in that way. And so he's saying, here, you want a happy life? Be a law-abiding, good citizen. It'll go well with you. Um, verse 2, he says, uh, I, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard to the oath of God. He says he's kind of speaking on behalf of God. He's the representative that is down here. And Daniel, same thing. You know, uh, This last week we had the study that God was teaching Nebuchadnezzar that he's the one in charge. That Nebuchadnezzar didn't put himself in power. God put him in power. God's the one who says, I set up kings, I take down kings. And in last week's study, um, the shocking thing was, Nebuchadnezzar forget about, forgot about it. He thought he was good. Look at this city that I built. Look what all I've done to my glory, to my power. By my strong arm, I have done this thing. And God's like, yeah, get humbled. You're going to eat grass like a cow for seven years now. You're going to grow crazy hair and crazy claws. And, and uh, let's see how much out of your strength and out of your power you can make yourself snap out of that. Seven years doing that. So God told him, Told him this lesson. I'm the one who does it. I'm the one who gives power. I'm the one who gives you breath. I'm the one who gives you water to drink. I'm the one who has food on the earth. He goes, you need to acknowledge me in all this. It's not you. And so here it's that kind of thing too. He's saying, you need to realize that God has put these kings, these authority people in position. So verse 3, be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in the evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Um, now, and the king, and Solomon's talking by himself here, he's like, no one's going to tell me yes or no. You know, they're all going to do what I tell them because I'm king. But he's saying here, you, you need to stay within his realm. Stay within those rules. Life will go better for you. Life is hard enough without being a lawbreaker. You know, why add extra grief? Um, my major experience with this would be license plates. Uh, many a time, it's like it came in February or after Christmas. Shortest month of the year, yay. You know, it's like, oh, and now here's a plate tax on you. You know, it's like, and, and I can't remember the kids had diapers and stuff. It was like, uh, we're going to have to make it till March. And so I was nervous whenever a policeman was following me. Like, oh, wrong plate. You know, it's all of a sudden I'm, I'm conscious and aware of every policeman everywhere. Can you imagine if you were living in a lawless state all the time? Every officer would be after you. Every time, you, you'd have to be looking all the time. You'd never be able to just walk around if your face is on TV for something bad that you did or you just robbed a bank or do whatever. There's no peace, there's no joy, there's no great reward in doing that. Now all of a sudden you're having to be paranoid about everything all the time. They're tapping my phones, they're in my house, that helicopter's looking for me. You know, they're the, they just become paranoid over these things. And so you're always afraid you're going to get caught. You're always going to be nervous. 
Every cop's looking for you and your mindset. You're enemy number one. They're going to be after you. Don't be that way. Don't break the law. You don't have to worry about it. Whether everything's going great, there's an officer doing his job. Hello, officer. You drive on by. You don't think anything about it. You know, you're just kind of, I wonder who he's after. It's not me. Oh, well, maybe he is. <laughs> you never know. You don't suspect that because you're doing right. Don't break the law. This isn't the only time the Bible talks about this. Paul tells us about this in the New Testament. Matter of fact, let's, let's turn to that one. It's Romans chapter 13. Paul goes right along with Solomon. Romans 13, verse 1, he says, Let every soul be subject to higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained of God. Same thing that Daniel talked about, same thing Solomon's talking about. Verse 2, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. You live a life of disobeying the government, God's like, that's a telling fruit right there. If you can't obey man's laws, are you obeying my laws? Which most of man's laws are based on God's laws. The majority of them are, you know, the, the good ones. He says, man, you're resisting me, so that's telling me you're, you're facing damnation. Verse 4, or verse 3. For rules are not a terror to good works. You know, they're not there to stop things from going good. They're to encourage that. Uh, but to the evil, wilt thou then be afraid of the power? It said, if you're doing good, there's nothing to be afraid of. If you're doing what is right, if you're a law-abiding citizen, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no terror unto you. Just do what's right. He says, um, wilt thou then not be afraid of that power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Matter of fact, just do what is good. People even appreciate it. They'll even tell you. Thank you. Verse 4. For this is the minister of God uh, to thee for good. And that he has this, these rules are there to help us. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he that beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God. He's talking like, in our context, that would be the police officer. If you're disobeying the law, <clears throat> we have a group of people that go around and bear a sword. Ours don't carry a sword. They usually carry a 9 millimeter. You know, they, they have a weapon on them to make sure that they can enforce the law, to stop violence from happening, to rescue people in danger, to come and put an end. You know, every school shooting stops with officers showing up, generally, right? You know, or someone running and charging the officer. It's usually, or ch- charging the, the person, but it's usually the officers show up. They have a firepower greater than them, able to stop them and put them down. You know, they run to the guns. Everybody else is running away. They run to the trouble. They run to the source and they try to stop it in that way he says here they are my ministers god says i put them out there for your protection aren't you glad that you have someone to call you know the police officers usually everybody's bad guy oh he's out looking for me he's wanting to pass out tickets what's he doing over there watching for us to speed until you're in trouble where is he why ain't he here fast enough i always see him on the road why aren't here why can't they get here sooner it's like a two-minute response and they're like it took forever you know when you need them you want them to be there on your side fighting for it you know a help that you can call to we have a 911 system that works fantastic you know kids when we grew up you had to have the, the phone number of the fire department or the police station you had to dial all those digits to get them not just a short little quick thing and tracking and telling them your address you had to remember your address or know where you were know where the accident was because they didn't have all those things and so but we, we live in a blessed time where we can just call and they know about where you are and they can help you and they can triangulate and get there and they're going to be this sword that, that help's going to come help will help find you Find whoever's lost. Help look for that abducted child. Look for, uh, open up a network to do all these things. Use all these resources to their ability to try to find, to help, to intercede, to help in that way. And so they're going to, he says, they're not going to bear the sword in vain because if you're doing something wicked, expect it. Expect it. Trouble's coming. So that's talking about like police, army. 
He says, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. He says, if you're doing evil and you're not listening to him when he shows up, expect some trouble. Expect some wrath. He's going to pour some wrath on you because his job is to protect the citizenry, protect the structure of, of, of America, what is going on, what we have grown to expect, that we can walk around freely and not be accosted, to not have to worry about robbery and, and, and uh, you know, bad uh, drunkenness and behavior and all these other things. And he's there to help make sure that things run good. Verse 5, wherefore you must needs be subject. Not only for wrath, but also for the conscience sake. He says, well, just do it for your own conscience. You'll sleep better if you're doing what is right. Verse 6. For for this cause, pay ye tribute also. He says, it's not free. That's why we pay taxes. Pay your taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. He basically says, you know, just obey the law. It's there for your protection. It's there to help you. And he says, it'll make you make life better. You know, so God just says, do it. Obey, pay. You like the benefits. I like having a fire department that I can call. I like having a police department that we can call. We're to pay those taxes. I like having an army that not only defends us, but can help free others. You know, taxes pay for those things. He says, pay them. You know, go for it. Don't be a cheat. Don't be a stealer. So police don't want to kill somebody. Police don't want to go out. You know, here we have this big thing being blown up in the news. You know, it's died down a little bit now. But, you know, they try to make all these things. There's a little bit here in Indiana, a case and all. If you want to show respect unto the law, you're showing respect unto your life. You want to honor an officer? Show him your hands. Hands are death to an officer. I can tell you, our son's an officer. He says the sheriff tells him every day, our main goal today is for all of you to come home. That's their main goal. And if you're going to stand in the way for that, they're going to try to out-firepower you to make sure they get home. You know, so obey. Keep your hands on the steering wheel. Ask them, officer, may I look in the glove box and get that? Sure. You know, that way you know what you're doing. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them why you're doing it. When you have guys refusing to show their hands, their hands in their pocket, what do they got? Knife in there? Gun? Grenade? You don't know. You know, you have all these different things. It's like... You're bringing some wrath on you. If you're not complying, you know, they, they have to suspect the worst. <clears throat> because you can watch in all these, you can do videos where it's like, it's like a second. A second, even with a knife. You know, one step and stabbing at you in the juggler, you're dead. You know, and so they have to make split-second decisions, you know, and all these things. So we say, man, show them respect. Show them life. Be respectful unto them. Oh, lights, let's pull over. Let's give them passage on the roadway. Show your hands. Obey them. If they give you a verbal command, get out of the car. Okay, I'm going to reach down and grab the door. and Let them know what you're doing. Show them that respect. You will get respect back, and you will go home alive. You know, if you don't, and you're being, they're after me, and you're running, and you're chasing, it never ends well, right? It usually ends with... <clears throat> Two shots to the head, or you know, because you're you're a danger that is out there, and so they have to stop you from being a danger, hurting other people, and so uh, you don't listen, you don't live. So apply some wisdom here. Solomon's saying, do right, show some respect. That's God's authority that is out there. These men don't want to do that. They want to go home thinking that I had to kill somebody today. You know, they give them time off. They have counselors. They have to deal with all these things, and so you know, apply God's law to all the police. You know, God says they are my representatives. They are here. And God says, and if we applied God's law to all the things that are in the news the last few years, <clears throat> where they charged an officer, where they ran at an officer, where they refused to show their hands to an officer, where they refused to get out of the car, where they refused to roll over and put their hands behind their back and all that, every one of those cases, according to God's law, was justified. Whatever violence it led to was justified by God's law because they were not surrendering to the power and authority that God had there for them. 
You want to go home without bruises and bumps and everything? Comply. Put your hands. Listen. Be reasonable. Show respect unto the officer. Don't be grabbing stuff. Don't be going for them. Don't be belligerent the whole time. Uh, sword's going to be on you. And so there are exceptions. Not against fighting against the police, but uh, if God's law violates God's word, we are to surrender to God's law. Uh, look at Acts chapter 4. So we're to be law-abiding citizens. Matter of fact, in America, we have a part in making these laws, right? We vote, we put the people in there, we have a say, we can talk to our congressmen, our senators, you know, our representatives, and tell them that's a stupid law, that's a dumb law, get that out of here, you know, and let them know it's wrong. We're to fight for what is right. We're to be a voice. We don't like the judges and what they're doing, we can vote them out, you know, we can do these things. We have a great responsibility upon us. Every once in a while, they may do a law that violates God's law. If they said it was illegal to carry your Bible and to read your Bible, we could violate that law. God's law says you to read in my word, feast on it daily. You know? um, Acts chapter 4, uh, Peter and John were out preaching, and they told him not to, verse 16. Uh, right now, in, in verse 16, Peter and John are in prison. So here are the enemies. Acts 4, verse 16, saying, What shall we do with these men? For there indeed is a notable miracle that has been done by them and is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that has spread uh, no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. I, we don't want them talking about Jesus. We've got to shut them up. Verse 18. And they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Uh, that is a law that violates God's law, right? They're saying, do not speak about Jesus. Do not preach about Jesus. Do not say what Jesus is doing. So what do they do? Oh, it's the law. I can't do it. I can't preach the gospel. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. They're saying, uh, which one do you think we should listen to? You or God? Uh, we'll leave you to decide. And then they go out rejoicing, celebrating, preaching. You know, so they're violating the authorities that told them to do something that was against God's word. And so you know, when God's word is there and it triumphs over an evil law, we're to do God's word. And so... Um, there is that exception. If we go back to Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 2. He says, I console thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. He says he's there representing God. Verse 3. Be not hasty to go out in his sight. Don't run away from his laws. Stand not in the evil thing. Don't do wrong. For he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? He says, King's rule is going to win every time. You know, why oppose him? Who's going to oppose the king? They're all going to side with him, you know, majority-wise, verse 5. Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. He's like, you want to keep a commandment? There's not going to be any wrath on you. You're not going to break down your house because you're doing good, verse 6. Because to every purpose there is a time and a judgment. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. If you do something that is evil... Expect the misery. It's upon you. It's going to come on you. Reap what you sow. We have all kinds of uh, laws that apply to that. Uh, so do right. Be smart. Have a happy life. You know, be a law-abiding person. Then verse 7, he says, For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? Uh, this whole passage we're going to go through, verse 8 this morning, is all speaking about the same thing, about being wisdom, about being wise, about having a happy life, about being a law-abiding citizen, and about... How righteousness wins, about how righteousness is right. So Solomon has taken everything under the sun. He says just using in knowledge in this world, just looking at things from this side and this perspective, he comes to the same conclusion that the Bible tells us about. 
Be righteous. Do right. Don't do evil. Do right. And so he is coming to the same conclusion in the universe that, that God tells us at the outset you know, to apply wisdom. And so these verses are all connected. So he's talking about living right versus living evil. And here in verse 7, his thoughts, I think, are on eternity. To Solomon in his time and place and how much Bible he had, afterlife is a pretty uh, mysterious place, a pretty much an unknown. We have the benefit of the whole word of God. So he's saying, for he knoweth not that which shall be. What's eternity like? You know, we have some benefits in that we have more stories that tell us a little bit about eternity. We have the whole book of Revelation. We have Daniel. We have uh, Isaiah, Zechariah. We have uh, a lot of things that tell us about the millennium, about eternity, about things that are going to go on. He didn't know. And even at that, we don't know exactly. I can tell you what the Bible says, and I can kind of imagine, and I can kind of dream up some things, and I've spent a lot of time doing that, trying to imagine. He says, so we don't really know. So what's eternity like? He doesn't know. We don't know. The second part says, for who can tell him when it shall be? When does your eternity come? When does your eternity start? We don't know. We don't know the day we're going to die. Um, so live right all the time is pretty much what he's trying to conclude here. Let's use some wisdom. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what everything is going on. So live right. You know, it's the safe thing is to live right. The smart thing is to live right. Um, you, know, you better plan on dying. Don't plan on, I'll get right just before I die. We don't, none of us are guaranteed that. Death happens suddenly. Um, the World Cup soccer. Not a big World Cup soccer fan, but I heard a news story that Brazilian team won, I guess. I don't know if they won the overall or just won a game. But some girl, they were drunkenly celebrating. She tripped, fell down, broke her wine glass, cut her throat, died in a second. Blood out right then and there. She wasn't planning on that. She was happy that they won a soccer game. I don't think she was that happy. You know, and so, you know, death can come instantly and, and weirdly, so live right. Um, Elaine says this about that. She says um, about eternity, about knowing your death date. There's not an expiration date stamped on your foot, right? And that what you guys use in nursing. We, we don't know when you're going to die. You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know how these things are going to happen. You know, so we don't know when you're going to die, so prepare for it. Live like it. We, we don't know when it shall be. And then it goes to verse 8. So he says, one, we don't know what it's going to be like, we don't know what it should be, but we do know some things about death. And this passage, verse 8, is a passage to think on. It's a passage about death. And I think we'll find it very telling. Solomon has just used wisdom and reason, and he comes to a very clear conclusion about living and about life and about death. So verse 8, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, Neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. So the first part, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. No man on earth, no power, no position, no authority, no king, no pharaoh, no Caesar, no president has the power enough to say to someone, don't you die. You know, if someone's sitting there dying or maybe it's his mother. You know, she's on her deathbed. I don't want my mother to die. Don't you die, mother. As the king of the world, don't you die. She's going to die. You know, his authority means nothing in the day of death. That's going to say, like, so what? You know, it's like we come to get you that day. You can't stop someone. We would, wouldn't we? If we had that power, if someone had that power, we'd go call them out. Say, wait, order that person not to die. doesn't happen. You can't, you can't order it. You know, if it's death is... Death is death. Death wins. 
Or no man is so strong that they can fight off death. The second part. So, so there's no man that hath the power of spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. When death is coming, you can't hang on. We've seen people struggle. There's been people that hold on. But no matter how strong you are, you can't be like, I've worked out in the gym every day. I have massive biceps. I will crawl myself back from death and bring myself into life. It doesn't work. You know, it can't be, I have such strong will. I will will myself back into the land of the living. You know, when death comes, it comes. You can't crawl. You can't grunt enough. You can't scream enough. You can't be angry enough. You can't plead enough. You know, if it is there, it happens. It's a a bond that pulls us all together. We we know the futility. We know the emptiness. Death wins. He says here, he goes on, he says, and there is no discharge in that war. Um, It's not like there's someone who has the power to say, war's over, death, you're done. Uh, No, uh, dismissed. We're not doing that. The discharge here, it's like taking someone out of the army. You're dismissed, you're done now. You can be free from the army. Death, leave this earth. We don't want you here anymore. There's no man that can do that. Uh, we can't say leave now. No more fighting, go away. Doesn't happen, especially in Solomon's day. Um, look at 2 Samuel, chapter 14. Second Samuel. 2 Samuel. Chapter 14, 2 Samuel 14, verse 14, says, For we must needs die, and as water is spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again, neither doth God respect any person. It's like, if you spill a bowl of water in the dirt, you can't get that water and put it back in a bowl. It's futile. You can try, but it's not going to work. You can do anything you can. You can plead, cry, beg. He's like, man, but death wins. That's what he's telling here. Death can't be kept at bay. Look at Psalm 49. Psalm 49. Verse 6. Psalm 49. Psalm 49, 6 says... They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can be, uh, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he should live, uh, that he should still live forever, and not see corruption. He's like, I don't, I don't care how rich you are. You can't say death. No, I'm, I'm buying my brother. My brother's dying. No, I'm going to give you money. Death, go away. Death's like, you can't bribe me. Uh, you can't pay death off. Money does not help on the day of death. It might help prolong your life you know, with money and, and things. But, and, and you can't save someone else. You can't give enough like, Lord, my brother doesn't believe. You know, here's some money. Make him believe. It doesn't work. Look at Psalm 89. Death wins. Death is independent. You're solo. It's you and him alone. Psalm 89, verse 48. <coughs> Psalm, 49, or, yeah. Psalm 89, verse 48. What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? He's like, he's going to visit every one of us. You know, he's going to come. 
Uh, we live in a day and age where there's the hope that the rapture will happen and we don't see it. There's a mystery. There's a group out there that will not face death in that way. But the majority, it's one out of one. We're all going to face it. Hebrews 9.27 tells us it was appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. We need to be prepared for it. Ecclesiastes 8, he, he goes on and he says something strange at the end, something that he's observed. In Ecclesiastes 8.8, 8, it says, There's no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit. Can't gather that water back up. Neither has he the power in the day of death. He, he can't be strong enough to keep himself from dying. And there is no discharge in that war. We can't just make it go away. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Ooh. It's helpless to fight against death. And Solomon sees that death can't be stopped. But men try, right? We, we, we spend time on medicine, you know, and I think that's good. We live in a blessed time where we have a lot of different ways that we can fight and try to stay the hands of death. We... Try to get potions. People have sought, you know, in Florida, you know, it was explored by people looking for the fountain of youth, you know, where they can keep themselves alive. You know, there's potions out there that people try to deal with. There's deals with the devil. Musicians sing about it all the time. There's movies about it. You know, try to make a deal with the devil where you can live longer, be famous and rich and all that stuff. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and a lot of those, most of them were pagan. And it taught about, I think we looked at last week, about how they did all those cultic practices where they offer human sacrifice to try to prolong life. They would offer things, they would do rituals, they'd do dances, they'd do bloodletting, they'd do all these wicked and perverse things, trying to extend their life, trying to make the things last longer. Just this past week we found about the death cult in South America, these towers that had skulls with sticks running through it that built these towers, 130,000 people that they would kill and sacrifice to their pagan gods to try to give them life and power and strength to go on. So yeah, they ask for all those things. They make deal with wickedness so they can have strength, so they can have power, so they can have wealth, so they can try to live longer and cheat death in that way. All kinds of wickedness. In the last couple of years, there's things that came out in the news about rich and famous that do these young blood rituals where they get blood of young people and drink it and rub it on their face and all those, try to make themselves live longer. You crazy evil stuff. And Solomon says it doesn't work. All your deals with the devil, all your things with wickedness, all the evil things that you did with wickedness to try to deliver you from death, doesn't work. Doesn't work. He's a liar. You're getting a bad deal if you do a deal with him. Look at Psalm 52. David addresses it a little bit. Psalm 52. Psalm 52, the whole psalm is about this. Psalm 52 verse 1 says, why boastest thou thyself in mischief? It seems like the wicked do that, right? How, how wicked they are. You know, rap songs will tell you how wicked they are, all the drugs they sell, the things they do, everything that's going on. You know, Hollywood boasts it and makes a movie about it, glorifies it. We'll do shows on wickedness, evil things that have happened, and people will flock to it. And there's a TV show on Lucifer, you know, about what he's doing, what's going on, about all these wicked things. He says, Oh, mighty man, the goodness of God endureth continually. He's like, I don't care how wicked you are. God's, God's goodness is what triumphs. Verse 2. The tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. They all lie. Don't be a liar. Verse 3. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak, than to speak righteousness. Salah. He says, this, this is the, the summation of this person. They love evil more than good. They, they, if you had a choice between good and evil, they're going to pick evil every time. You know, evil is a friend of theirs. Evil is one they are after. You know, there's songs about it. There's people that do it, that, that pursue it. It is a life 
pursuit. There's musicians that sing about it and put it out there and put that whole image out there. Evil, evil is the right fun. It's the fun way. It's a highway. It's all these things. Verse 4, thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. It's all lies. It's just trying to get more people on board with your lies. Verse 5, God shall likewise destroy thee forever. Here's the thing they didn't count on, right? God wins. God will likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place. You can't hide. I don't care how deep a hole you dig. I don't care how secure it is. I, can't make, I don't care what potion or, or talisman or whatever you got trying to keep him and get him to stay away. When God says, I'm taking you, he says, I'll come take you. I'll pluck you out of your dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Salah. He says, think about that. Salah. That's a rest. That's a pause. You think about that. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you can't hide from God. He says, when it is time, he will take you out and take you out of the land of the living and thrust you into hell. Verse 6. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. We could say that, man, it didn't do him any good. Uh, didn't know what was going on. We'll, we'll see that. And if you're righteous, you're going to say, like, man, that just solidifies all the more. I don't want to live that kind of lifestyle. That is wrong. It did not help. It, it just added to it. Oh, man, they're going to be suffering in hell. Made hell hotter. All, all they're sinful did. All it did was just make them suffer more. Verse 7. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of the riches, of his riches, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Man, we can weigh it all out and we can say, man, this guy, he, he, he missed. You know, he trusted in riches and not in God, and this, this falls up short. You know, this is the man who built his house on the sand, not the man who built his house on the rock, the one that endures. He says, but I am like a green olive tree, verse 8, in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. He's not old and dried up. He's green. He's alive. Olive, green olive tree, verse 9. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name, for it is good before thy saints. He's trusting in God. He's trusting in God to save him. He's trusting in righteousness. He's trusting in what God is doing. That's what rescues him. So wickedness cannot defeat death. But you know what? Righteousness did. Jesus Christ came down. Solomon's right in a time and place like, what do we do? We can't fight death. We had someone who did. We had someone who represented us, who fought death and won. Took away the keys of death and hell. Literally, that's what it says. He has control over them. He is the master now. He frees the, the, the locks and he let those Old Testament saints go home to be with heaven. So yes, righteousness broke them. Amen. Jesus Christ defeated death. Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is the one who we put our faith and trust in. Uh, before we were like, who can fight it? Who can retain? Who can resist? Christ did. Christ won us that victory. So Jesus battled hell, Jesus battled Satan, Jesus battled the demons, Jesus battled death itself and came out victorious. We serve a risen Lord, we serve a victorious Savior, we serve one who has triumphed over death in the grave, we have served one who is alive and sitting at the right hand of God and he has promised the same for us if we but repent and trust in him. So those who do that are the green olive tree that David talked about here. God's saints are evergreen, plugged into the living water, where we live forever and time ebbs on, when we see righteous, these unrighteous people who come up and seem like they have it all and they die away quickly and they're forgotten. He says, you be consistent. You be righteous. You live a good, righteous life. You live a life that is pleasing unto God and you will live forever. There is secret. That's what Solomon was looking for. We have the answer in Jesus Christ.
the righteous one who's defeated death in the grave, the one who can pay him off. He's paid our ransom, right? We sing those songs. He paid the ransom. He paid the fine. Um, Job was even saying, I wish there was someone who'd plead my case. He pleads our case. He is our advocate. He's the paraclete. He's the one who goes in between. He does all these things. The wickedness does not prolong their day. It just makes hell hotter. And so we live in a good day. We live in a time where we know. Now, the Old Testament saint could look forward to the one who was coming, and that's where Solomon's going to get. Here's what we should do. But at this point in time, he's mulling things over. He's like, wickedness is not right. Wickedness does not win. Wickedness, I can just look at things under the sun in the world's perspective and just the nature of things and say, you need to be righteous. Righteousness is the right way to live under the sun and for eternity. It's what's going to gain eternity. Not living righteous can't earn your salvation, but Christ purchases your salvation for us. He pays off death. He satisfies it, and he makes it where we can live forever if we but repent and trust in him. So, yep, you want a better life? Obey the laws. Live a righteous life. Listen to God. Let him guide and direct your steps. And you will live a life that is serving God, that he will find well-pleasing. And he even says there, he'll wait on you. And, uh, boy, and then you'll get a bit of praise among the saints. We get to live together with the saints of God. Uh, there's happiness. There's life everlasting. That's what Solomon's looking for. We have it satisfied in Christ.